Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to continue for a few more weeks talking about our union with Christ. I know I'd said I thought I was done with it two weeks ago, but sometimes things change. And I really want us to look at union with Christ in light of Romans chapter 8, because I think it's one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible, one of the most important chapters in many ways in all of the New Testament. And I really want us to examine that in light of being in union with Christ. Some of you will remember November the 3rd, 1994. Some of you were not even born on November the 2nd, 1994. But some of you will remember uh, something that happened on that day. There was a jury sworn in on that particular day that heard the case of the state of California versus O.J. Simpson. It was on television everywhere. It wasn't just on the news. It was broadcast, and, and you could go home at lunch or go home or do whatever, and you could watch this trial unfolding. And, and from November, when the jury was uh, sworn in, and testimony started, be, started in January of 1995, until October the 2nd, 1995, when a verdict was issued, the whole nation was captivated by that trial. As a matter of fact, it was dubbed by many in the news media as the trial of the century, of the 20th century. Everybody was talking about, was O.J. guilty of murdering his ex-wife and a friend of hers who was a waiter, Mr. Goldman. And it was talked about in coffee shops, it was talked about in homes, it was talked about over dinner, I mean, it, it was the talk of that, of that year beyond anything else. Nothing else even began to touch it. And everybody, <coughs> excuse me, at least everybody that I knew, pretty much had a foregone conclusion that O.J. did it. I mean, all the evidence pointed that way, all of the, the, the suspicious stuff. Some of it was circumstantial, but much of it was, was evidential. And, and, and they just, everybody was talking about O.J. did it. Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, all of the big tabloids had that on their page, in their, in, their, in their magazine week after week after week, and everybody was looking forward to it, to hearing what the verdict was. And then finally in October of 1995, I remember I left the office, I was pastoring in Orlando, and I went home because they said the verdict was going to be announced, and I couldn't wait to get home and see it. And I turned on the TV, and there it was, the uh, Judge Ito's uh, uh, courtroom, and we were sitting there watching that, and the jury came in, and Judge Ito says, has the jury reached a verdict? And the jury said, we have. And he said, is the verdict unanimous? And they said, it is. And they passed the note to the judge, and the judge read the verdict in the state of California versus O.J. Simpson trial, and the verdict was not guilty. And it was almost like the whole nation gave a collective gasp. You're kidding me. Everything seems to clearly point to the fact that O.J. Simpson is guilty, and yet this jury... And this judge has now, by virtue of the decision of the jury, this judge has with his gavel struck the gavel and said, the verdict is not guilty. And O.J. Simpson was set free. Now, granted, there were civil trials and all sorts of things going on after that. But the truth of the matter is, at that point, 
When Judge Ito said not guilty, declaring the, the verdict of the jury to be the final verdict, as far as the state of California was concerned, as far as the, the trial for murder was concerned, O.J. Simpson was no longer condemned. He was not condemned. As a matter of fact, he was justified. He was declared all right in the state of the, the law, in the eyes of the law. He was declared to be not guilty of a, tri- of a crime that almost everybody in this country thought that he did. And probably if you did a poll of the country today, the vast majority would still think that he did. But as far as the law is concerned, O.J. Simpson was not guilty. Now we look at that and we can, depending on how we feel about the trial itself, we can probably say, well, that was a gross miscarriage of justice or it was the proper judgment, depending on how you feel. But but there's still a division over how that ought to be. I want you to understand what the words of the Apostle Paul are saying in light of that. Now that doesn't fully give the impact of what Paul is saying, but it gives about as close to a Uh, an illustration of of a human illustration as we can find with what Paul is saying in that first verse. That first verse is really all we're going to concern ourselves with this morning, although I'm going to read the first four verses, and we'll come back to those probably next week. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the flesh. To the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, there is there, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It, it's really, that's really not a, 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 an exact translation of what Paul says in the Greek manuscript of Romans 8.1 because we put there is in there to kind of help us understand it and make it roll a little smoother. The, the literal wording there is Paul says, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the same idea in a, in a different sense that he said in, in chapter 5, verse 1, where he said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in chapter 5, he's talking about justification. You have been justified. You have been declared not guilty. In, in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, And because of that justification, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't just say, there is therefore now no condemnation. He doesn't stop there as though saying because Christ died and Christ went to the cross and Christ rose from the dead. On the basis of all that, there is just no condemnation for anybody anywhere at any time. He doesn't say that. Some people want to make him say that. Some want to stop there and say, oh, well, if Christ died for the sins of the world, then that means that we're all now justified. We're all now not under condemnation. But Paul makes it very specific as to who there is no condemnation for. And he says it's those who are in Christ Jesus. It is those who are in union with Christ. Those who were in Adam 
by birth, as is all the world, and now those who by faith are in Christ Jesus. Those who are new creatures, those who have had their sins forgiven, their sins cleansed away and washed away, and they are now resting securely in Christ Jesus. Think about it. In Christ. In Christ Jesus. Could there really be any simpler way to articulate our relationship with the Lord than in that one word, in. Paul says no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more beautiful way of saying it. We, we are in Christ. We are in that relationship. And, and why are we in there and how are we in there? It's by what God did according to chapter th- uh, verse 3, which we'll get to later on, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 3, we'll get to next week. But it's because of what God did by His Holy Spirit working within our lives if we are in Christ. As a matter of fact, it's amazing in this chapter, in the first 27 verses of chapter 8, The Holy Spirit is named, is called by name, something like 19 times. More than any other single chapter in all of the New Testament, Paul is focusing on identifying and and saying that when you are in Christ Jesus, it's by the work of His Spirit who now indwells you. Thus, the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit has brought about, as, as if you will, if we can make some kind of side analogy here, to the jury in the O.J. Simpson trial, the Holy Spirit has worked in your life and has brought about from the judgment of God a declaration of no condemnation. Do you realize that O.J. Simpson can never, ever, ever be tried again for the death of either, either Nicole Simpson nor Mr. Goldman. He can never be tried again in a court of law for the murders of those two people, whether he did it or not. He can stand up before the national news tomorrow and say, oh, by the way, that verdict back in 1995, that was a real joke. I did it. And it wouldn't matter. Because by the judge and by the jury, by the state of the law, he has been declared justified And there is therefore no condemnation for those crimes for O.J. Simpson in a criminal sense. It's what's known as double jeopardy. You can't be tried for the same same crime twice once he's been found guilty of it, uh, not guilty of it. Paul is saying, I want you to understand there is even a greater sense in which the believer now has their sins forgiven and they are, they are in Christ in a very unique relationship, and the Holy Spirit is working to bring about true Christian discipleship, which, by the way, discipleship and walking with Christ would be absolutely inconceivable. Indeed, it would be impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer, as one who is in Christ. John Stott writes in his little commentary on on uh, Romans, he says, justification is a legal term, barred from the law courts, and it is the exact opposite of condemnation. To condemn is to declare someone guilty. To justify is to declare him righteous. In the Bible, it refers to God's act of unmerited favor by which he puts a center 
right with himself, excuse me, a sinner right with himself. Not only by pardoning or acquitting him, but accepting him and treating him as righteous. Condemnation, justification. In Christ, there is justification. There is no condemnation for all of life, past, present, and future. Can't be tried for that, can't be tried for sin again. You can't be held accountable for sin again as far as a, a salvific sort of way or a being condemned sort of way. It is a clear declaration by God on the basis of faith, not on what you've done, not because you've all of a sudden become a good person, but on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. A lot of people look at this verse and they say, can, can that really mean what it says? I mean, I mean, let's face it, folks, it's a pretty absolute statement. There is no condemnation. There's not a little bit of condemnation, condemnation left. There's not a little bit of guilt left. There's not, a, there's not a possibility that maybe at some point you might be condemned again. He says, no, if you are in Christ, you are now set free. You are now justified. You are no, no longer condemned. You were condemned. The whole world is under the condemnation of sin. Paul says in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no exception to that. He says in Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks after God. Nobody has this innate desire to know God and obey God and righteously live for God. He says, no, no one is righteous. No one seeks after Him. There, there is a clear declaration that, that every human being on the face of the earth is under the condemnation of God because of their sin. There's also the clear declaration that if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and confess with your mouth that He is Lord, then there is justification. There is a judgment that can be given by God on the basis of faith through the work of the Holy Spirit by grace in your life that can bring about a cleansing and a renewal and a, and a change that you cannot make on your own. You cannot make on your own. So does it mean what it says? Absolutely. It's talking about the security of every believer in Christ. It's talking about the security that is brought when a person comes to know Christ in a, in a relationship of faith that brings about this, this idea of total and complete and absolute security in Him. God doesn't hold you accountable for the sin. God doesn't, doesn't hold you Hold it over your head and say, well, if you can just keep it up, you'll make it to the end. If you, can just, if, you can just, if you can just make it a little longer and do right and do good, then you'll be all right. No, Paul said, don't you understand? In Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Him. Sins are covered past, present, and future. That is an absolute truth and an absolute promise and an absolute security for every believer. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I make bold to assert that the great theme of chapter 8 is not, just, it's not sanctification, but the great theme is the security of the Christian in Christ. With no equivocation, with no buts involved, 
is the clear and complete security of the believer. Some will say, oh, well, wait a minute, Bill. Wouldn't, wouldn't that bring about a, a carelessness in the Christian life? If I can say, well, now there is therefore now no condemnation for me in Christ because I am in Christ and my sins have been forgiven. Won't I live carelessly? If you do, you don't understand the gospel. If you do, you don't understand the reality of what has taken place when you are in Christ. You're still living in this fantasy world that I can please God enough if I just keep it up, that I can be okay by my works and by my good deeds and God will receive me. Do I need to tell you again that there are really only two religions on the face of the earth? We look at it and we say, oh, there are a lot of religions. There's Buddhism and Hinduism and, and Islam and Christianity and this and that and uh, some you've never even heard of. Thousands of, of so-called religions on the face of the earth. I contend to you that there are only two. There is, first of all, what we might call the religion of, of human achievement. The religion of human achievement says, I'm going to do all I can to try and please God. I'm going to do all I can to try to, to, to make the curve when God grades in the final analysis. I'm going to trust that if, if I can do enough good that will offset my sin, then, then surely God will say, well, you just barely tipped the balances in your own favor. A lot of people live in Somerset, Kentucky with a religion of human achievement. They sit in Baptist churches or Methodist churches or Presbyterian churches or whatever church every single Sunday, but they've got this idea that I've just got to keep the ledger balanced to my side a little bit. I guess theoretically, theoretically, that might be a possibility. If you can live perfect, without any sin, without any disobedience to God's Word, without any sinful thought or sinful act or sinful word, if you can, if you can live a totally selfless life only for others, then, then just maybe. But when I say it, even saying it, I go, how ridiculous is that? There's no way. There's no way. I sinned on the way to church this morning, coming to worship God. And, and yet, you know, I, my thoughts were not always pure. My, my ideas were not always right. I was rushed. I was behind. I was pressing. I was, why couldn't we have been ready earlier? Why couldn't we have done? I mean, you know, it's just, it's, the, you see, but those are just little sins, Bill. Little sins condemn. Unless they're covered. By the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's a religion of human achievement, and a lot of people are trying to do that. And then there's the religion of divine accomplishment. That is, that, that God, Christ has accomplished on the cross. It's, it's what Paul says in, in verse 3. For what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of human flesh. Not in human flesh, but in the likeness of human flesh, he might bring about our justification and our salvation. See, that's a radical thing. It's a radical change that takes place because of him working in our lives. It's not a matter of me trying to be better. It's not a matter of me trying to do right. It's not a matter of me trying to, to, to 
earn God's favor, which I can never do. It's a matter of learning what it means to rest in the reality of the work of Christ and being in union with him. It doesn't lead to carelessness. It leads to a desire to walk with him. It leads to a desire to know him. It, it leads literally to a desire to, to, to have fellowship with him. And, and that gospel change means that it's not, okay, I've been saved, now it's covered. Now <laughs> I'm going to go be as wild as I can. Because his spirit is now energizing. His Holy Spirit is now motivating. His Holy Spirit is now working and securing and strengthening and guiding and directing me toward holiness, me toward godliness. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We, 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 we're, we're in this situation where Paul has said earlier in this, in this passage, in this book, in five, verse 5, chapter 20, he said, you know, the law came so that the transgression would increase. I mean, the law just shows us what we can't do. The more the law is present, the more the law is, is looked at, the more we see how we fall short. And then he said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What that means is when we are not in Christ, our sin can be great and our sin can magnify, but God's grace can overcome that as we submit to Him, as we see His work in our life. What it also means is that when we are in Christ, we still struggle with that old law principle. We still struggle with those sin principle within, and, and, and we're still, you know, we, we still fail. We still struggle. We still, we, we still blow it time and time again. But the reality is the Holy Spirit is there to say, yes, you blew it. Now get up and let me pick you up and let's walk forward toward Christ. Your sin is forgiven. The reason grace succeeds where the law fails is because the law is empowered by our own good intentions. And the grace is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Law is only as good as our intentions are. Let's see, it seems to be a road that was paved with good intentions, best I remember. But God says, I want you to understand something. When you are in union with Christ, there is no condemnation. Period. When you are in union with Christ, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. And you have been set free to follow Him. I love Luther's statement. You know, Luther's statement was, Know Christ and do what you want. Know Christ and, and do what you want. Some people look at that and don't understand what Luther was saying. He was not saying, hey, your desires will be the same old desires, do the same old things in the same old way. Luther said, man, if you know Christ, 
He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your desires. He's going to change your purpose. He's going to change the drive in your life. And, and he's going to drive you toward holiness. So know Christ and do what you want. Because now the Holy Spirit is empowering what you want. You will follow him. You will trust him. And you will be in him. Paul says, I want you to see this. Because a lot of Christians are struggling with, with sin in their life every day, thinking it's, it's disqualified them, it's wiped them out, it's made them no longer useful for the kingdom. And, and Paul said, I want you to understand, you need to deal with those sins. No doubt. You don't just slough them off and say, oh, well, it's no big deal. Sure, it's a big deal. But you don't, have to, you, don't have to wait, you don't have to be burdened under the weight of, oh my, I've blown it. I can never recover again. How many times have I sat and talked with believers who say, man, my, my, witness, is, my witness can never be again. I can never share the gospel. I can never talk to anybody about Christ again because this sin has defeated me at this time in my life. And I want to say to them, and I do say to them, that is the biggest lie Satan will ever tell you. You can't be effective for the gospel. Your sin is covered. You need to confess it. You need to deal with it. You need to repent of it. But you need to move forward in the gospel of no condemnation. You need to move forward in the gospel that Christ is alive in you. And he will change all that. And he will purify you. Because you belong to him. You belong to him. And if you're in him... There's no condemnation. Now, there may be ramifications that continue on. I think back to the, the movie, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? After Delmer had gone down in the river and been baptized, he came running back up to, to the others and he said, I've been saved, I've been sanctified, I've been set free. And I don't, I don't have to pay for my sins ever again. Preacher said they've all been forgiven. And they have before God. And he said, even that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Tupelo. He didn't understand. There may still be ramifications with man's law. But if in Christ there's justification, there is salvation and there's the declaration of therefore now no condemnation I don't know about you but that 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 is about the best news I can think of it's about the most glorious thing that even can strike my mind that I can stand before the holy God of the universe, the creator and the redeemer and the judge. And I can stand there in Christ. And I can stand there as guilty as any criminal in a court of law because of what I've done. But the one judgment that matters declares me not guilty.
declares no condemnation on me and sets me free. Not free to sin, not free to say, oh, well, if grace is covering me, then I'll just sin all the more so I can get more grace. Paul said, may it never be. That's ridiculous. That's a fallacy. You're set free from the bondage of sin. You're set free from the, from the slavery to sin in order to be what God has intended you to be and called you to be all along to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Living a life that's not captivated by selfishness, but a life that's captivated by Christ and filled by His Holy Spirit and changed for His glory. And as a benefit for your good. What do you hear when you hear the Apostle Paul say, there's there... No, now, now, therefore, no condemnation. Therefore, on the basis of the work of Christ, no condemnation. On the basis of the declaration of Almighty God, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of union with Christ. It's the glory of union with Christ. That's the truth of being in union with Christ. Where are you this morning? Are you in Adam? Thus out of Christ? Outside of Christ? Or are you in Christ? Christ has come to me. See your sin. See that I'm the only Savior. By the way, that's the reason that all these other religions of self-achievement, human achievement, don't work. They're just religions. Because in Christ, God did it by His Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Holy Father, it's, it's a plain and forceful cry that the Apostle says there. There's no condemnation, even for struggling Christians. Even for those who are still trapped in, in situations like Romans 7, where we find ourselves doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we know we ought to do. Lord, the only thing that will strengthen us and keep us fighting is God's strong assurance of grace, His strong assurance of being in Christ. Paul's already made clear that where sin increases, grace abounds the more. When we are struggling... We need to rely upon His grace, and you grant that grace, and it's strong grace. Father, we ask you to do your work in us as only you can. Before your throne, by your grace, strengthen us, Lord, who still struggle.
every one of us. But Lord, don't let Satan lie to us that we put ourselves on a shelf and we're no longer useful to you or the kingdom because of the struggle with sin. Show us your forgiveness and your power to defeat that sin, O oh Lord. Lord. We pray that. We desire that. In Jesus' holy name. It's by Christ alone. Through your Holy Spirit alone. On the basis of grace alone, do that work in our lives today. Renew us, and Lord, bring others to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.